this week's message given by Pastor Stephen Yun at the Sakasana United Methodist Church, March 20th, 2022. The message is the role of ritual based on Leviticus 16, 29 to 34 and Luke 22, 14 to 20. Anyway, um, it's good to be with you this morning, and um, let us pray. Loving, gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this beautiful day that you created. Lord, we thank you for this church family. We thank you for this opportunity to worship. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and see each other's faces and enjoy the fellowship with one another and with you, God. So, God, we ask you to send us your Holy Spirit as we listen to the words of Scripture. Fill us with your life-giving and life-changing words. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So after hearing uh, several bedtime stories, little Johnny Smith had just been put to bed, but he wouldn't sleep and keep calling his mommy. Of course, his mother's patience was wearing thin. And she said, if I hear you call mommy one more time, you will be punished. She warned him sternly. For a while, it was quiet. And then she heard a small voice call from Johnny. Mrs. Smith, can I have a drink of water? Well, little Johnny wouldn't fall asleep without drinking water each night. For him, it was kind of bedtime habit or even ritual that would give him a sense of fullness and comfort. Whether it's a good or bad, from toddlers to seniors, people have their own personal family communal rituals that they participate in on a, on a daily, weekly, and even yearly basis. As we continue to engage our Lantern Sermon series, the Passion Play, the Living the Story of Jesus' Last Days, this morning I'd like us to explore the role and power of ritual. The power and role of rituals in our lives. What are some of the rituals that make up for our lives? What are the rituals that give you meaning and structure? What roles do they play in your life and faith? Are they life-giving, life-changing rituals? Think about that. A few weeks ago, we, uh, not a few weeks ago, a few days ago, I sent out an email to you and asked you to share a uh, simple, mundane ritual that you practice daily or weekly. And thank you to those who responded to this survey. And I want to share some of your uh, responses. One of you said, making the bed every morning, making pancakes every Saturday morning for 25 years. Wow. I don't know who submitted this response, but, you know, you must be a pancake master. And I would strongly encourage you to make pancakes for our family breakfast when you get a chance. Maybe you're already doing it. I'm not sure. But. 
Another person wrote, I enjoy the check-in phone calls from my children and grandchildren. Hearing my young grandson say, hi, grandma, on the phone makes me know how amazing God's children are. Very good. Another uh, person said, I read an upper room devotional on my phone each morning with my breakfast and pray. My workout at the gym is my simple mundane ritual. Daily devotions may be simple but not mundane. Every morning, along with coffee, I spend an hour more reading and reflecting on a few things. The Upper Room, The Daily Bread, Christianity Today magazine, my Bible. And this brings to mind various ones who need special prayer with perhaps a different focus based on the day's reading. These are the rituals this person does. Each morning and before I go to bed, I thank God for all the blessings in my life. And if, even if they're the same, it reminds me of how blessed I truly am. These are, one, these are the wonderful uh, ritual practices. I thank you for sharing. In a sense, these rituals are part of your daily routines. And some of you might, be ask, might ask, you know, why they are called ritual in the first place. What makes these specific daily routines and habits a ritual? As opposed, to, as opposed to other routines and activities you repeat every day. You know, like drinking and freshly brewed coffee. Brushing your teeth. Stacking the dishwasher. Get the keys ready for school. Or making a phone call to your friend or family members. These are the routines that you might be repeating each, every day. What makes them a ritual? What makes them distinctively a ritual? What roles do they play in your life? You know, when people hear the word ritual, it comes with various presumptions and connotations. For some, the image that immediately comes to their mind is a monk sitting in extremely difficult yoga poses and praying in old temples with incense and candles. Or a group of people in a weird, weird costumes standing in a circle, dancing and singing or doing a set of actions in nature. Traditionally, a ritual has referred to a set of pres prescribed a actions and words performed in a regular way, often as part of religious ceremony or a spiritual practice. Today, a ritual is also used to mean something you do regularly and repeatedly, usually without thinking about it. The question is, what makes a certain repeated practice a ritual? The scholars of ritual don't always agree on this matter. I found activist minister Kathleen McTeague's approach helpful, and she talks about three things that make things a ritual. There are intention, attention, and repetition. Intention, attention, and repetition. In order for something to be a ritual, you intend to do it. It doesn't by accident. You have to intend to do it. You, had to, you have to attend to it. And lastly, you have to repeat it. But I think there's one more essential element that makes a ritual a ritual, which is meaning. 
It's how you perceive and interpret your action, those repeated actions. It's about a meaning you find or construct from certain actions. As I shared a few weeks ago, uh, we got a new puppy named Gracie. We're currently uh, working on her potty training with a little bit of frustration, to be honest. We take her out for a walk numerous times a day, but sometimes, you know, she would pee once she enters the house, <laughs> immediately after. We take her outside intentionally, intend to, you know, to have her pee outside. There's intention there, right? And not always, but most of the time, we attend to her gestures, movements, sound, you know, as she stays outside. And we repeat the practice again and again, so there is intention, attention, and repetition. Does that make taking a dog out a ritual for us? Again, there are intention, repetition, and, and, and attention. What's missing is meaning. If you love your dog enough, taking him or her outside in the middle of the night, or taking care of their poop on a play mat could be a joyful activity, but we're not there yet. And to be honest, I'm kind of skeptical about that becoming a ritual since potty training for my own children didn't become a ritual for me either. I'm sure each of you has a series of mundane tasks that you complete every day, almost always in the same order. It's something that you can complete on autopilot without thinking about its meaning and significance. You don't have to think about why you do what you do. But there is also mundane, repeated routine or action or habit that brings a sense of meaning and joy, a sense of purpose, a sense of order and stability as you do. Especially when you practice it with intention, attention, and repetition. What are those ritual practices in your, in your personal life, friends? Think about that. As people in Omaramago, Germany, are getting prepared for the Passion Play, they hold an, an interesting ritual called the Hair Beard Decree. Let me show you a, a photo from their website. The beginning on Ash Wednesday, all participants of, of the Passion Play uh, required to observe the hair and, and beard decree. As you can see from this picture, a bulletin is posted by the Passion Play director, and the entire community advises the participant to let their hair grow, and the males also to grow a beard. The only exception being the actors cast in role, uh, role of Roman, Roman soldiers. Uh, you know, they get to wear their hair short and to shave regularly. But the extras on stage will be expected to look as you know, homogeneously historical and long-haired as possible. And this is for this play, the passion play that they're going to perform. Let me show you this uh, photo from the website again. There are three men. These three men are actual actors for the passion play. And this picture shows how they had changed over the year since they participate in this ritual of growing hair and beard. 
I was reading their story at the Passion Play website, and one of the, one of the actors, the name、uh, writer, said, It's funny how when you're in a group of men during rehearsals, all of a sudden you're talking about hair and beard issues, and all of a sudden you see gentlemen wearing funny ribbons and Ellis bands in their hair, with everyone trying to find a signature look when at bottom everyone looks like everyone else. He adds, I love this period. When everyone is changing both inside and out, this is a critical time for them to go through the changes, not just outside, but inside. From this year, they are starting a new tradition as part of this community ritual. They are planning to donate the carefully cultivated hair for making wigs for children with leukemia. You know, with 2,000 people involved, you know it's going to be a quite a hip of work to do. Isn't this a life giving, life changing ritual? And I wonder how could they pass this ritual on to the next generation? You know, they've done this for 400 years. What is it that makes them keep this tradition going? In a sense, the Passion Play itself is a community ritual that has continued for four centuries. It's been a ritual that brings these people together and creates a sense of community, sense of purpose. It gave them a sense of who they are. We know the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is filled with rituals and ceremonies. Why there are so many rituals in the ancient Israel? In a sense, the people of Israel were the master of rituals. They were the master, masters of rituals. They knew the power of rituals in their lives. They ritualized their time, significant life events. They ritualized their history and traditions. They knew how ritual would help them structure and organize. Their lives that were so uncertain and oftentimes frazzled. They knew how those rituals would connect them to something bigger, something deeper than themselves. They knew how these rituals would connect them to the divine provider, the divine protector. For example, biblical times to the present, fasting has held a significant role in Jewish religious rituals. You know, fasting in Judaism is defined as a total、uh, cessation from、uh, all food and drink. A full day fast begins with sunset in the evening and continues through the darkness of the next day. You know, the most、uh, famous fast day of Judaism is Yom Kippur. How many of you heard this? The Day of Atonement, based on its origin in Leviticus chapter 16, which was the Old Testament reading for, th- for this morning. The Yom Kippur marks the end of days of all, days of repentance. And that begins with Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And on that day, God instructs the people of Israel You shall aff- afflict your souls. The rabbinic commentators interpreted this biblical phrase, affliction of the soul, to embrace an understanding of denying oneself physical pleasure. 
like, you know, eating and drinking, bathing and washing, and anointing. And the purpose of Yom Kippur was to effect the individual collective purification, repentance before God. They did it by the practice of forgiveness of the sins of others. They did it by, by sincere repentance for one's own sin against God. That's why it's called the, the, the big day of the day of atonement. You know, we tend to think of these uh, religious rituals negatively, especially from a legalistic perspective. But when it was initiated, it was a life-giving, life-changing rituals that brought the community to reconciliation with each other and with God. When Jesus had his last meal with his disciples, it wasn't just meant to be a memorial meal. It wasn't just the last supper. He wanted his disciples and, his, and their disciples to continue to eat and drink with Jesus, the living Jesus, the Jesus who came alive from the grave. That's why we, we practice Lord's Table, the communion, each month. You know, we practice it on a regular basis as a, as a church community. You know, the Jesus wanted his disciples and their disciples to practice them and continue to eat and drink with Jesus who would come to them through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In this, in this meal, which was kind of a ritual practice, Jesus reminds them that he is the host so Jesus is the host, and we are, his disciples are, the honored guest of Jesus. And God is giver here, the giver of life, the giver of the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we give thanks to God as we, whenever we celebrate the Holy Communion, we give thanks to God because God is the giver. In this meal, Jesus calls them into a new level of life together, new fellowship, new solidarity based on love, and new willingness to welcome others. The Lord's Supper is a practice of faith that shows the power of ritual that is life-giving and life-transforming. In the survey, I included this question, what are some of the spiritual rituals that have shaped you most significantly? Some of you responded to this question in the survey, praying together, being grateful for God's blessings. Another of you said, morning devotional while having breakfast, prayer first thing every day, expressing gratitude each day, attending worship every week, attending Bible studies, praying out loud together in church, the Lord's Prayer, singing together, celebrating holidays in church. Intercessional prayer has helped me keep track of people and their challenges and makes me feel a part of the church family and God's plan. Someone wrote, Having moved away from Roxbury, I'm so glad the church services are shared online Sunday mornings. I miss seeing the church family in person. Thanks again for sharing these thoughtful responses. Again, friends, when you think about your spiritual practices, the habits of faith, 
think of intention, repetition, and attention, and meaning. Those are the four criteria that makes a ritual a ritual. And based on these four criteria, think of your daily, weekly routines that are actually functioning as a ritual practice in your life, whether you noticed it or not. What a day. What roles those, do those uh, rituals play in your everyday life? What roles do they play in your faith journey? Now think of some of your habits of faith, the repeated practice you see as a ritual. Does it actually entail intention, attention, repetition? Does it entail meaning? Do you find why you do what you do each time you do that? Does it give you a sense of meaning, order, purpose? If not, what's missing there? What's missing in your spiritual practices? I want to invite you to think about that. During the rest, rest of this Lenten season, I think we have about uh, 25 days left till Easter. So during the rest of Lent, I want to encourage you to begin a new ritual practice, a habit of faith that has been practiced by many people of faith. It has a history of, of over th- three, 4,000 years, including our Lord Jesus Christ, which is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. I invite you to participate in 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, please pull out um, the insert from your bulletin. There is an insert. It says the 21-day prayer challenge. Pull this out. Those of you who are worshiping from home, you will be receiving it via email after the service. You know, uh, this is, some of you are already doing it, right? Which is a wonderful thing. Continue to pray. But if you, if you could, I invite you to participate in fasting. Uh, again, you can read this in the back page. It talks about why we fast as Christians, as long history tradition. And start where you are, okay? Uh, we are all different places in our work with God. So think about what, how often you can fast. You can choose a different types of fast here. As you can see, um, there are five different types of fast. A Daniel fast, eat, eat only vegetables, fruit, water, juice. Full fast, which is drink liquids only. And consult your doctor if you have a precondition. Partial fast, not eating one or two meals on a specific day. Now that's, that's what I've been doing. I've been fasting uh, my breakfast. All-day food fast, abstaining from food one or multiple days per week. And activity media fast, you know, for going a time-consuming ac- activities like, you know, some of you are already doing it from social media or Netflix, whatever, that distract you from focusing on God, you can fast. So think about which type of uh, fast you can participate in. Um, and we invite you uh, to pray for the hungry as you fast. You know, 
uh, we invite you to pray for the needy in our world. And we invite you to give a dollar a day. This idea came out of our of Costa Rica mission meeting and uh, was suggested by our late leader, Linda Diffley. Wonderful idea. So dollar a day. Think about giving a dollar a day for feeding the hungry throughout your 21 day of prayer and fasting. You know, our Costa Rica mission team will be distributing food bags full of staple food items directly to the neighbors in Costa Rica. The children, family, you know, they're going to go to their doorstep and then distribute the food bag to them. And it's going to happen in June. And these food deliveries are more than just a bag of goods, you know. They are uh, symbolizing the opportunity to build a relationship and spread the Word of God throughout a country. So if you participate in this uh, challenge, I invite you to bring your offering each Sunday. We're going to put a uh, special offering box here so you can give dedicated to this food ministry. I invite you to support this mission through your fasting. You know, whether it's a ritual of fasting or ritual of feast, you know, it's important to think about what impact these rituals are making on our life and our faith. Are they are life-giving, life-changing rituals. Friends, God is calling us to build and live life-giving, life-transforming rituals of discipleship. Life-giving, life-transforming habits of faith. If you have one, live it out. Continue to live it out. If not, build one. Build one. With intention, attention, and repetition, and meaning. One of our church family shared this, idea, shared this story in this survey. I want to share this uh, with you as I conclude my message this morning. Reading, thinking, being honest in prayer are my necessities. I was just sharing this with uh, Taps last week. I don't often like to refer to something that happened so many years ago, but it has been life-changing. I was 26, had been through Bible college. I was teaching Sunday school Bible studies, helping out with music. I had a two-year-old, a six-month-old, so I did my reading around midnight. So this person read the Bible midnight after their, her children went to bed. Or reading Emil Bruner, the mediator, reflecting on beliefs, I began listing the things I was no longer sure I believed. It made me depressed, so I decided to tell it all to God. I spent much time speaking very honestly about my doubts, and finally I said to God, what do I have left, God? I immediately felt in my spirit that God said, You have me. God will always be, to be there to help us in times of doubt. This is a uh, confession from one of our church family and shows us how the rituals that she repeated help her to connect herself to something bigger than herself, something deeper than herself, to our God, 
the divine provider, the divine protector, the divine shepherd. Amen.